the business model, it, it is a very real disruption. And unfortunately, it's happened at a time when there's a lot of other stuff going on in general mm. practice. General practice feels under, under enormous pressure. So um, so I think it's probably reasonable to suggest that general practice is primed for, for a fight. Um, and this is, this is an interesting area to, to, to fight over. That fight is about the way in which technology, particularly online consultations, might change general practice. Martin Marshall is Professor of Healthcare Improvement at University College London and Vice Chair of the Royal College of General Practitioners. He's also no stranger to disruption. He's seen the rise and fall of pay for performance in the form of the Quality and Outcomes Framework which you can hear about in an earlier podcast. But in a new analysis on bmj.com, he's turned his attention to technology. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ. And in this conversation, Martin and I discuss whether video conference is actually a disruptor, given its ubiquity in other areas of our lives. And whether it's actually the whole business model of general practice in the UK that needs to change. The article he co-wrote with Rabina Shah and Helen Stokes-Lampard, also from the Royal College of GPs, is called Online Consulting in General Practice, Making the Move from Disruptive Innovation to Mainstream Service. And that's available online now. But before you read that, have a listen to the interview. Thanks, Martin, for writing this this analysis. I think it's really interesting. And at a time that we in the UK have been talking about Babylon, which is a a service where people can effectively have a sort of online video consultation, mm. um, it's kicked off to kicked off a lot of worries about you know what does this mean for the future of of GP mm. practices in the UK. Um, so it's very timely. And the first question I had really was. How much of a disruptive technology do you really think video consultation is? Um, I look after the innovative category of the BMJ Awards this year, and we've got to a point now with that that we think, okay, so you've done video consultation, but you know, eighty percent mm. of the other people have as well. So, mm. you know, is it actually that innovative or dis- disruptive? So I think it's 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 moderately disruptive. Uh, I suspect it's one of those disruptions that will be absorbed into the system reasonably quickly, uh, because there are some real advantages to to, to online consulting, um, and it's quite clear that a lot of the traditional face to face consulting that we do isn't isn't necessary. Um, so I don't think it's that disruptive. Having said that, um, we doctors are consulting in different ways when they consult online in comparison with with face to face, and they make dis- different uh, decisions as a as a consequence. So if I've got somebody in front of me um, Mm. and let's say even something relatively straightforward like a chest infection, if I can see them, I can see how well they are. If I can touch their flesh, I can get a feel for whether there's any other stuff going on. I can make a different kind of assessment as a consequence of being in the same room as somebody. And as a consequence, I think I probably make a a better uh, clinical decision. Now, the issue is, what is a trade-off between a slightly better clinical decision and the inconvenience of having to come in and, and, and see a doctor? And I think that's a trade-off that we just need to be a little bit more explicit about because mm. it's a trade-off the doctor has to make, but it's actually a trade-off that the patient's making too. And I want to come back to sort of the model of that, that you know, booking a, a doctor's appointment um, a little bit later on. Um, but first of all, 
What did seem to be worrying people about the disruption around something like Babylon coming in um, was less the, 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 the way it would change that kind of consultation model and mm. more what it does you know, for the, the, the business model of a, mm. of a general practice. So for people outside the UK, um, in the UK we have a capitated um, system, so for each GP practice, they get money based on the size mm. of the population that they serve, plus some yeah. other factors as well. Um, and Babylon, because it was particularly targeting young people, um, there was a worry that they would suck them out of the, mm. the system um, and just leave the expensive mm. older people mm. to you know to, to share that cost, and that would dis- disrupt mm. the business model. So yeah, um, you know, when we're looking at this, how much do you think it is about you know? disrupting the the consultation Mm. model versus the business model? Well, I I think it's both, um, and I think they're both important. So um, the consultation we've talked about, the the business model, it it is a very real disruption, and unfortunately it's happened at a time when there's a lot of other stuff going on in general Mm. practice. General practice feels under under enormous pressure. So so I think it's probably reasonable to suggest that general practice is primed for for a fight, Um, and this is is an interesting area to to, to fight over. So you're right that the uh, significant portion of the income for general practice comes from a capitation fee, I'm just getting paid for having someone on your list. The average amount is somewhere 140, 150 pounds, something like that per year. Um, it's a remarkable, um, remarkably small yeah. amount, small amount of money. Um, and the patients that you don't see very often or don't see at all uh, compensate for the ones that you see a lot more of. So the average consultation rate is maybe about five or six uh, consultations per year. But there are some people that we don't see at all and some people that we see um, many dozens uh, of time. And particularly, of course, older patients with, with multiple health problems are the ones that we see more often. So so the model just about works out when you've got the right balance of, of high users and, and low users. And the concern here... and. We still don't know whether the concern will be realised, but I suspect it will. The concern here is that the healthy young people um, who traditionally have been low users of traditional services mm. of of um, of, uh, of uh, general practice services um, are going to, in some way or other, unbalance that and leave general practice serving um, uh, the uh, the less well people. And that not only produces business issues, but it also produces inequality issues as well. So the people who are being well served by online consultations are the people who are generally not accessing NHS services at all at the moment. Mm. So it's created a new demand um, without having new resources to fund it, assuming that it's an NHS funded service. That capitation model in the UK has been around since, what, 1911? That's Mm. over 100 years old. And obviously the world has massively changed there. Do you think because of that, because of the rigidity of it, it's 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 stifling the chance to actually experiment usefully with some of these these new technologies. Well, it isn't at the moment because policymakers are allowing it to happen. Yeah, so it's yeah. not so it's not stifling anything at the moment. You're right that the model has been around for a long time and. Um, both in the UK and in other countries, we've experimented with different payment systems and different balances. In fact, the capitation system is very good um, in terms of producing high-quality outputs for relatively um, low cost. So, so it can and should be adjusted. It shouldn't be got rid of. Um, the adjustment probably does require a much lower capitation fee for people who um, who are using online services because you don't use as much. You don't need as many resources to be able to provide it. Mm. No. You know, this whole is kicking off this year, late last year, it seems. Um, 
But internet banking, I was looking this up earlier, mm. apparently the first internet banking in the UK came along in 1983. When I, yeah, I didn't even know people had computers at home then, but... Um, and, you know, the ubiquity of it sort of hit in the 90s and, and now you do everything. Well, not everything, you do mm. a lot of things through through your internet banking. Mm. Um, that's just one model of the way that, that, that mm. sort of that service industry has changed because of our ability to go online. And I just wonder, you know, has, has general practice been slow, do you think, in, in responding to the change in, in society that... that banks will be at the forefront of yeah i think i think i think it has been not just general practice but the nhs as a whole has been slow to embrace um technologies um in the united states where they're more willing to embrace technologies partly because they invest more in them uh, partly because i think there's a stronger sense of consumerism driving um the technology market in the states um they've been using online consulting for a lot longer maybe for 10 years or more um, the insurers like it um, because they can um, provide um, care at lower cost uh, using it. So I think general practice has been slow. Um, having said that, the technologies haven't been around to be able to engage with it um, uh, more quickly. The technologies are coming on board really, you know, right now and, and developing at a very um, dramatic uh, pace. Um, there's no doubt at all general practice needs to embrace this. Um, and there's no doubt at all that online consulting will be the norm in a few years' time, almost certainly. Um, but what we need to do, and in this paper what we highlight, is recognise that there are unintended, con- unintended consequences and side effects of that shift, and those can be predicted and they can be managed and they need to be thought about, mm. because otherwise uh, online consulting will create more of a mess than, than a benefit. And it's probably a good time for you to tell us what you think some of those unintended consequences might be. Yeah, so I think I think there's three principal ones. Uh, one of them is around patient safety. Uh, I described at the beginning, um, it's less easy to make um, a holistic assessment of a patient when you're not um, seeing them, particularly when you don't know them, particularly when you might not have your record, their records in front of you. Mm. Um, so for a whole re- range of reasons, if you're dealing with something relatively simple, relatively straightforward and a relatively well person, it probably doesn't matter. If you're dealing with average or, or high user um, end, then it does matter. So safety issues are are fundamentally important. Um, Issues around equity, I think, are really important. Um, And of course, that can work both ways. So there are underserved populations now who don't like going to see their GP. I'm thinking of adolescents, for example, Mm. who are probably much more likely to access care. And that's a good thing. Uh, But generally, the people accessing care using online services are the ones who have least need. Um, And uh, and if we uh, don't have a health service that's well-funded, the people who are demanding but have least need are taking care from those who um, who have greater need. Mm. So there's something about equity which I think is really important. And then as, as we were discussing, there's something around the business model as well. And I think those are probably the three principal um, risks that you risk destabilising general practice when it's already at a very unstable, case, uh, unstable um, situation uh, by introducing um, online consulting without um, forethought. Mm. Now, on that first one, the, the worry about the you know disabling the, the care and the fact that there is stuff that you get from you know one to one interaction that you mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to through through some sort of digitally mediated one. Um, that's obviously the case in, uh, for some things, and mm-hmm. it definitely isn't for another. Yeah. Um, and you. Do you think that that's overstated? Perhaps we should just allow patients to decide this. I've got a colleague um, here who's a GP. I won't 
say what her name is for for spare her blushes there, but she has railed um, when we were sitting having lunch about the fact that you know when she goes to the hairdresser, she mm. she can decide you know what she mm. wants to book and and the appropriate yeah. time slot and and whatever yeah. else is is then yeah. booked for her. Whereas when she goes to the GP, you know you just book the appointment and yeah. then everything happens at that point. Yeah. So I suppose what I'm saying is you know is that actually that much of a worry do you think well i i think it is i i suspect that the doctor you're referring to is is well educated well informed and able to make um decisions uh, i happen to work in a in a city area with a a very um uh socioeconomically deprived and and multicultural population um who are less able to make um decisions about about um uh health needs um and and therefore, as a consequence, I'm making more decisions um, with them and, and, and on their behalf. So, so I think I think you're right. Um, sometimes it's overplayed. Sometimes the risk is overplayed. Certainly, the risk is overplayed for, dare I say, the chattering classes mm-hmm. um, who are able to make um, decisions. But a lot of general practice is about about serving the underserved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about helping people uh, to make decisions, often in the absence of information, sometimes in the absence of of education, and that's kind of our job. Um, so there is a, there is a a paternalistic in a good way element to um, general practice, which I think needs to be un- honoured and understood. Sure, but no one's suggesting that this would entirely replace that sort of face-to-face interaction. No. So for, you know, yours, perhaps it's almost like the triage that then you yeah. say, look, I really think maybe we do need to sit down yeah. and, and talk about this face-to-face. Yeah, it's yeah. actually opening up that access point for the to even have that interaction at all. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And and that in many ways identifies the, the two at least two different models that we identify in this in this paper, which is when the online services is integrated into established general practice, um, working in practices where the patients and health professionals perhaps know each other, they have a bit of bit of prior knowledge, then decisions about whether online care is the right can be made jointly and that's fine. When the online services are provided completely separate by people who don't know the patient, who often don't have their records, then those decisions are often less good decisions as a, as a consequence. And there's emerging, um, certainly anecdote, and probably some evidence that um, as a consequence of not knowing patients, clinical decisions are very um, different. So there's emerging evidence, for example, of a higher uh, antibiotic prescribing rate um, in online cons- consultations than there is in non-online consultations. Uh, and that's a, that's a that's a safety issue. Uh, it's a resource issue. It's it's an important issue which we need to take seriously. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And I suppose that's uh, you know another reason why GP you know ex- extant GP practices should be maybe embracing this to yeah. to serve the. Their I, th- I think I think I think that's absolutely right. And I and I think that the the commercial online providers will either go into partnership with established practices or or will find a market elsewhere if established general practice engages with this agenda, which is why they need to do so um, enthusiastically, but not uncritically. Yeah. Um, now, the second bit you, you mentioned there was security, and I suppose mm. as Cambridge Analytica and Facebook are in the thing, you know, the, these issues are, are heightened in, in people's minds. So what mm. do you think is the issue there? Is it about confidentiality of data? Yeah, so there's something about um, confidentiality. Um, uh, the Royal College of GPs has just produced a series of questions for patients that, that they should ask when they're about to use an online care. And one of those is, um, are you confident um, when you're uh, consulting that no one else is listening in or no one else will have access to your, for example, recorded um, consultation? So that that's important. There's something about sharing data with people that you don't know. 
Mm. We know that patients are, are by and large pretty comfortable about sharing data with their own practice that they're registered with, working with health professionals that they trust. Sharing that data with people that they don't know um, can can cause more problems. So I think there are there are real um, confidentiality and data governance issues here, which again um, uh, shouldn't scupper the idea, but do need to be considered. Mm. And that's stuff that should be really thought about and and exactly and you know do this properly don't i think i think that's right i think it's right and and the cqc um uh uh, regulatory visits of online consultations have highlighted this as being uh, a major issue Mm. um now the last point i wanted to make was uh you know at the beginning of this you talk about uh, and we've been concentrating on that kind of interaction with between a doctor and patient mediated Mm. in some way um but you also mentioned the potential for things like artificial intelligence, machine mm. learning in, mm. in, in, in that practice as well. Mm. Um, that feels like it's a long way off. I think it probably is. Um, you might not believe that if you hear talk to some providers who claim that they're using it now. I'm slightly sceptical about that, I have to say, because yeah. <laughs> what, what they call um, artificial intelligence looks to me just like a slightly fancy algorithm. Um, but... Um, Artificial intelligence, assuming that it will take off, um, could well have quite significant um, implications in, in the area that you decide. You know, often uh, doctors are making complex um, decisions using very complex, vast amounts of complex data, um, and machines might be as good or better than them at doing that. Um, particularly for relatively simple, relatively straightforward problems. So it could well be that a lot of the care that's currently provided by highly trained and rather expensive to the taxpayer um, uh, health professionals could be done um, using a computer in future. Now, you know, that, that I think is really exciting. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a future that there's a risk that we, we overstate mm. um, uh, or, or, or predict will be with us sooner than it will. I think, I think, it'll, be, I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I don't think that doctors need to feel anxious about being um, pushed out. It seems to me that the the human touch, the the sixth sense, um, the practical wisdom that comes with being a real person interacting with a patient are things that healthcare should never lose. No, absolutely. So as you said, um, the government seems to be incentivising this, as particularly private players in, in the market, mm. to doing this. So I, I just wonder, do you see a point in the not too distant future when when this will just be rolled out across across the NHS across general practice yes I, I think I think it will so the, the government isn't just incentivizing private providers it's it's incentivizing all, all established general practices to um, to engage uh, to um, uh, choose whatever online system they want to use and integrate into their uh, practices and they and they're giving them financial support to help them to do so 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 it's happening right now um, it's being integrated right now uh, of course some practices will engage with it more rapidly than, than others um, it's quite difficult at the moment for practices to engage with it because, as I say, um, the online provision is 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 most are mostly extra consultations. Mm. Um, it's it's a supply demand issue, um, and general practices don't have very much um, capacity to take on um, extra work. Um, I'm hoping that when general practices settle down, they'll they'll realise that um, you know maybe maybe there's some of the current work that they're doing that could be done online, which needs a shift, and that, and that will happen. Um, yeah, I've got no doubt that 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 uh, online consultations will be the norm. Um, you know, probably in five years' time, the oh, the, that, the, that the, the the pace at which you know we have consumers have got used to online banking, um, online shopping, uh, online. Um, 
bookie of our holidays, you know, it all happens very quickly. Um, so, um, so I suspect it'll happen in healthcare too. We'll come back to you in five years to uh, to see how that's gone. <laughs> Great, Martin. Thank you very much for talking Pleasure. to us. You've been listening to Martin Marshall talk about technology and the GP consultation. The article that kicked off this whole discussion is available now on bmj.com and is called Online Consulting in General Practice, Making the Move from Disruptive Innovation to Mainstream Service. The previous interview I talked about at the beginning on the future of the Quality and Outcomes Framework is also available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, alongside hundreds of other episodes, all available for free. That's all for this podcast. Next time we'll be back hearing about what's been happening in the ongoing conflict in Syria, particularly Eastern Ghouta, which will enter its fifth year of siege next month. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.